This is DJ Bruja from Change to Change. We have a huge election coming up, the runoff. The early voting starts November 27th. Election day is December 11th. We got Susan for Sheriff, Troy Glover in District D. Find out more at VotersOrganized.org. And here we are from Chains to Change. I am Bruce Riley, aka DJ Bruja, and we've got some cool cats in the studio today. We've got none other than Norris Henderson and a special guest, Mr. Hardell Ward. Hardell, why don't we just jump right in and let, why don't you tell us what you've been working on and tell us maybe something that might have happened just recently? Okay. Uh, my name's Hardell Ward. I'm an attorney with Promise of Justice, the unanimous jury project, the Jim Pro Juries project. Uh, we've been we the last last year or so been following post conviction relief applications for individuals who are still incarcerated under as a, under a non unanimous jury, uh, the remnants of the of the eighteen ninety eight Constitution when Louisiana decided to codify its support for white supremacy. But uh, this week on November eleventh, we received a decision out of the Fourth Circuit, which is. Orleans Parish, St. Bernard Plaquemines, uh, finding that that is unco- not only that it is unconstitutional, but it should apply retroactively, which would hopefully bring some relief f- for some uh, 1,500 individuals who are still incarcerated f- with a non-unanimous jury. We also got a little bit of bad news, but we out of the Third Circuit, one of the cases we were successful on back in August uh, at the district court level, we had a decision from the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, however, reversing that decision. So what this has created is what we call a split circuit, when you have two different circuits in the state on the same issue saying different things. So we think this kind of puts the ball on the Louisiana Supreme Court to finally take up this matter and decide once and for all if the if the non-unanimous jury, if the Ramos versus United States decision, which held them to be unconstitutional because it violates the Sixth Amendment, we will finally decide if it will be held retroactive in Louisiana and bring relief to the 1,500 or so men and women who are still incarcerated under this unjust rule. This is a this is a big deal. And these a lot of these people are folks that Norris knows. Norris, I mean, well, what are you thinking? I, I was excited at the fact that somebody else weighed in. Uh, because long as this was the decision of the Third Circuit, one of the ground rules for the Supreme Court intervening is that there's actually a split in the circuit. Mm-hmm. So they can't say they don't have no grounds for hearing the case. And it's kind of funny how the case landed. The Fourth Circuit, which encompasses pretty much the largest African-American population within the state, ruled to be an unconstitution predicated on the fact of his racist origins, mm-hmm. whereas the Third Circuit, where it kind of like just totally completely overlooked that. They're looking at just trying to save grace about, well, we got all these convictions that we may have to invalidate. Well, you know, from the facts come the law. The facts is in the late 1800s, when y'all put this constitution together, it was for the kind of like sanctity of the white race. And if you look at, I was thinking driving over here, about what this state, people talk about how great the state of Louisiana is. And, you know, rightly so, we got some things going on that other people wish they had. But at the same time, I can only think about what if. What if they hadn't tinkered with this system 
Where would this state be at today? Where would people of color be in this state today? And, mm. you know, we're leading up to redistricting. And uh, the census, so it makes you question now, it's like this was a grand scheme from over a century ago that's still having ramifications, not just in the courthouse, but even when it comes down to redistricting because you have kind of like marginalized people to the extent that their voices can't be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for folks that, that you know, they're listening at home, you know, that, that have heard of the Ramos decision, uh, you know, that case that, that, that came out of Louisiana all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court clearly talked about the racist origins. They didn't run away from it, but then ultimately they left it upon another decision which then left it upon states to decide whether they wanted to make it retroactive or not. And so for folks that think that it, it can't be retroactive, that's not true. It just means that like they're not going to make you make it retroactive. And so as Hardell saying, we've got this circuit split. But for, I just want to mention something about Hardell for, for folks. I think the, the, the second time I think I met you, I think the first time we just had some, some social people in, yeah. in common. Second time, I think, was when we were, uh, you, were, you were a housing attorney with uh, Southeast Louisiana Legal Services, and we were fighting the, uh, the issue around people being uh, evicted and, and such yeah. or with, with criminal records. And, yes. And the guy says, the guy on the board, um, he said something like, I don't know what, what you're talking about, like the, the people getting evicted with these records. And you're just like, I had three cases in front of you this month. <laughs> <laughs> and it just was a reminder of like, this is why we, it's so important to have like a lot of frontline folks, whether it be lawyers or social workers, whomever, because they're right there with all the cases day in, day out. It, it's what Nora said. You People seem to forget the history, and fr- even the recent history, mm. right. when it comes to making these decisions. And Nora said it perfectly. The the two, the two biggest split in these decisions is, one, the Third Circuit said they couldn't fathom how you could find it retroactive while not considering the history, mm. while the Fourth Circuit starts at the history and sees that they can't move forward. <laughs> they, they can't yeah. even get into the decent, you know, they found that it was fundamentally unfair, mm. which is... And think about that. A, a law in the books, 1,500 people, fundamentally unfair convictions. And you either allow yourself to remember your history and remember the reality around you, or you maintain whatever facade you need and you, it causes harm. Mm-hmm. That's It's that simple. You know, it's kind of like this. Uh, one, one of my mentors used to always tell me that truth has a way of finding favor or disfavor. And that's what actually this represents right now in this moment. Truth showed up in the Ford Circuit. It showed up in the third, but it found disfavor, you know, because folks don't want to own it. You know, it's just like, ah, it was something that happened so long ago. But if you look at all the collateral fallout from it, uh, you know, folks' fingerprints are going to be on this forever unless we do it right. And it's like I say again, it's just not fair to have a system where, one, even on the state legislative side, you, you made a perspective, you know, abandoning those folks. And but when the Supreme Court come and say, "Oh, time out! It is completely wrong," but they skirted their responsibility just by saying, "Well, you're not here on the right mechanism. Had you come in a different venue or a different avenue, we probably would address you." But that don't stop y'all from doing it. So it's kind of like singing to these people: "It's wrong. Y'all can do the right thing if y'all choose to do it." Uh, so hopefully they uh, kind of do the right thing moving forward. Well, let's talk about some of the, the kind of mechanics and timeline moving forward because we know there's a lot of people that are, you know, they got their hopes up now, right? And so, Hardell, I understand there are some petitions that are that have been at the Louisiana Supreme Court. Yes. 
So what do we what what can we look forward to over the coming months? So there's a there's about a hundred and well, under 150 or maybe right around 150 dis, uh, opinions. I'm sorry, cases that are already sitting at the Supreme Court. We would we would hope that the Supreme Court would use some of its discretion. Their their actions are pretty much all discretionary. They can take cases as they choose. They can release opinions as they choose. They, there's no timelines on that. But they take some discretion and just simply wait uh, and wait until these two cases arrive at their in their court. So hopefully those cases will simply remain, uh, just simply remain on the docket, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the two cases that are going to move forward, they both came out on the same day. So they're both the what's known as the writ are going to be due within 30 days. Uh, we, we've already begun prep- preparations on, on ours. And just to make it clear, the one that uh, we lost on is the one that we're taking with the Supreme Court. And we imagine the state will be taking writ on the one that they lost yeah, on to the court. Uh, well, but, but you know, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the dynamic around that. Well, you're right, because that's the St. Bernard case. Because if it was the actual New Orleans case, I don't think the state would be taking yeah, the writ. We know? would hope not. We would yeah, hope not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. So that's 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 the scenario correctly. You know? So, but they're going to be due at the same time. We've already begun work on, on, on our documents. I'm assuming the state has already begun work. Uh, those are due within 30 days. And then at that time, we will get um, orders from the Supreme Court of when each side can then respond to those writ. Uh, so it's going to be, it'll probably be very interesting filings of the different positions we take in each one and then the response back even against the same argument if you want to get in that technical issues. Mm-hmm. Now, so hopefully by, so before Christmas, before the end of the year, uh, everything will be lodged with the Supreme Court. That doesn't mean that they will take up the case and review it. I would expect it won't be until uh, January, February that we find that they have granted writ and what granted writ means is that they've agreed to accept the case mm-hmm. uh hopefully if they do that they will then issue a stay for all the cases throughout the state on this issue simply pausing those cases uh, which will do the speed probably you know that'll pause everyone no matter what posture they're in and then hopefully in this spring we would have oral arguments on that case which would again put us at a decision probably in the summer of, mm-hmm. of 2022 so after the legislative session after the legislation or right around the end of the legislation yeah. right and I, I think the one thing you know and, and, and legally thinking i think one they, they're probably going to consolidate these two cases yes uh to kind of kind of figure out how we have the same peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you decide to slice it a different way. You know, one want the diagonal slice, one want to just cut it down horizontally. So I think that's that's advantageous for us. But, you know, I always think about it and I should always tell myself, uh, what was worse, you know, being in court waiting or waiting to get in court? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all the same time. You know, the disadvantage for us as advocates on the legislative front, and I think this is where Bruce was kind of like leading to, because they actually has a task force that has its first meeting uh, this month and uh, to address the concern. But the upside of it is that because of these two decisions, it's almost like we need to correct this. We can legislate, we can codify this, whereas we can take the code completely out of it. People yeah. shouldn't have to wait another five minutes, let alone maybe another five, six, ten months before a decision come down from the Supreme Court one way or the other. Because, yeah. you know, you, if you, you want to roll the dice on uh, people's liberty, you know, that if the Supreme Court says, yeah, it's going to be retroactive, I mean, you inhale up 1,500 people uh, for additional year that they shouldn't have been there, 
And it would be a tragedy if they didn't move in that direction. So we're kind of like trying to cover it on all fronts, you know, the uh, legislative side, the litigation side, you know, and the organizing side around it about trying to get people to fully understand how can you deem something to be unconstitutional in your state legislatively, you know, through the ballot, and you don't want to move any further than that. You just well, want to rest on those laurels. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so much like, you know, abolishing slavery, but grandfathering in the people who are already slaves, right? Yeah. And just say, like, oh, it's inhumane. But, you know, we don't want to mess with the people who are already slaves, yeah. right? Yeah, so, we need the crop to come in, you know? Yeah. But, it's, you know, Norris, you, you mentioned the task force. Um, who's chairing up that task force? Uh, uh, Representative Randall Gaines. Randall Gaines, head yeah. of the uh, Black Legislative Caucus. Caucus. Yeah, and Randall actually was the sponsor of the uh, the legislation to end non-unanimous jury verdicts, not the the, the the one that, well, the one to do the retroactivity mm-hmm. of uh, non-unanimous verdicts. And the thing is, in good faith, uh, Randall believed that the United States Supreme Court was going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't really push the legislation because he just figured common sense approach, people with good faith and goodwill will do the right thing. But we know now for sure that's not always the case. And so we're having to revisit this from the backside of it being, and I can hear the other folks saying, well, the Supreme Court said it wasn't retroactive. That don't mean anything. You say we can fix it. Mm-hmm. And when they say we can fix it, it didn't necessarily mean it had to be fixed in the state Supreme Court, but that the legislature could craft a remedy in themselves, you know? Yeah. And like I say again, given the fact that this all come from, you know, I'm like, it, it, it's almost like the forfeiture statute. If this come from ill-gotten means, mm-hmm. I can take. So the, all this, these convictions that you have secured come from ill-gotten means. So mm-hmm. why don't y'all just recognize that and say, okay, we didn't play fair. We're going to set the rec. We're going to clean the slate and start from scratch. For those cases you can't start from scratch, well, you you figure it out. You know, you do that every day with giving people plea agreements and uh, stuff like that. So uh, the probably newer cases, the ones that may not be... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, in jeopardy that they can't bring them back to trial, well, you have the opportunity to pursue that avenue again, you know? So yep. I, I'm just hopeful that we can really make some internal gains uh, inside the task force to be able to present uh, legislation uh, by the time the session gets ready to start and it moves it in a way that, uh, you know, these folks will do the right thing. And again, the organizing side of it is we had to keep telling this story in the street, you know, exactly. about the unfairness of it, because if people just think it's a legal decision and not a moral one, they won't tune in, you mm-hmm. know. So I think that becomes the role, again, is to tell this story in the public that uh, this is what's going on and we're waiting. And kind of like, you know, you can't really put undue pressure on the courts. Judges are not supposed to be moved that way. But I think if, you know, these stories start popping up, wait a minute, the task force can approve something, but y'all have the opportunity to do something before the legislature can do it. And can I go back on something? And I apologize for doing this. This is a, a, my, and I probably shouldn't be saying it. But when you say doing the right thing, the, the Edwards decision where the Supreme Court held that Ramos would not be retroactive, it, it didn't really say it wasn't retroactive. It simply said 
the procedures, the legal procedures and the legal definition they have, this one part of it, which it might have fit, it that part no longer exists. And like you said, they, they said states could put it in. But again, they knew they were only speaking to two states. Mm-hmm. They, so when they said states could put it in, they were speaking to simply Louisiana and Oregon. Right. But so it, it's this passing of the buck and passing yeah. of the baton to someone else to fix it is the most troubling thing of this. And for someone who's been working on this for so many years and had so many hearings, no one has simply, I, no one has told me it is not legally because of this. It's always, well, someone else should say it. Someone right, else right. should say it. Someone else should do it. And you hit the nail on the head. It's just doing the right thing. And you cannot have people expect them to serve the rest of their life after you have told them we took away your constitutional rights to be there that is so un-american un-louisiana well you know saints fans should be used to like a bad call right i mean you you got you got that that pass interference or whatever and then it's like oh sorry you're not making it the super bowl didn't that guy want to sue yeah the league or something because (laughs) when you know there's a problem and there's a chance to fix it you fix it if you have replay do it you have retroactivity use it you don't just tell people to live with it Kind of reminds you of the movie The Great Debaters and yes. the last debate when the guy was saying, you know, an unjust law is like no law at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is an unjust law. Mm-hmm. And so while we still trying to hang our hat on or still claim victory when it's been tarnished. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been tarnished. Everybody know who won the game, you know. But if you win this way, it's like, ah, yeah, you Scoreboard, you know, Mike gave it to you. A ref made a call that caused you to, you know, like it's just leaving the game just a minute ago. Saints got an interception in the end zone and stopped Tennessee drive. And then the referee drew a flag that everybody's kind of like questioning right now whether or not that was actually a, a personal foul, you know, mm-hmm. roughing the passer that gave them the ball back that created, what, eight more plays for them that they actually scored a touchdown on, you know? And so when if this game turns on that, it's going to always go back to, no, had this guy mm-hmm. not made that call, we don't know what the outcome would have justly been, you know Yeah, what I mean? and that's it, just a game, right? And either way, you know, it's over in, in uh, you know, a couple hours, and they play another one in a week, right? Yeah. So, like, and you get, you know, seven, 16, 17 chances to have a season, mm-hmm. right? But we're talking about people's lives, and they're not willing to give another game. They're not willing to give a, a second season, a postseason, or anything. And they're just trying to sweep it under the rug. So I think that, you know, everything that we're doing is really coming together. And, you know, Norris, you and Calvin and guys that really mm-hmm. were kicking this thing off, you know, 20, 30 years ago, allowing people like Hardell to get in position to be going to the Louisiana Supreme Court with Jamila and PJI and the rest of your crew. And, you know, everybody's briefed this issue so much over the last couple of years between the Supreme Court cases, the, the state cases. Uh, I think, you know, we've won the popular opinion clearly mm-hmm. with 64 percent of, of the voters. And so, you know, right now it's like it's just the, the next battle, the next the next week. And I think the real question becomes and you, when you when you say it about referencing this to two states, it's like, why do we still want to be this outlier? Mm. Yeah. You know, why do we still want to be the outlier? You know, special. they say you can't do that no way. I mean, case in point was for the, all of the trials that then kind of like started up post-pandemic, folks who've got convicted has a unanimous verdict. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, oh, the system is working. It hasn't fell apart. 
But why do we still want to be this outlier? One of because Oregon is trying to fix theirs. They're trying to remedy their situation. So why we still want to be this outlier when the courts are saying, especially the United States Supreme Court, that the unanimity of the, the jury is that's it. That's everybody's supposed to have a unanimous a verdict. And we still want to be the outlier. I just can't figure that out. You know? mm-hmm. Well, Hardell, you know, I think we can we've talked about this issue a little bit. You know, is there any any uh, things you want to share with people that might be listening that have a family member that's impacted or a friend or a neighbor? A way to contact y'all or get involved? Uh, yeah, you can contact us, uh, Promise of Justice. Uh, the phone number is 504-529-5955. Uh, you can always email me directly. I'm not supposed to say this, but email <laughs> hwar at defendla.org. I do get a lot of emails, but I try to respond to everyone as soon as I can. Uh, if you know To my families, the family members, my clients who I've spoken to a lot over the past year, you know, as Norris, so you say with Norris and Calvin, uh, y'all went to try to go to the Supreme Court 23 times before y'all were heard. You know, for every decision, negative decision we got, we kept saying we would keep moving forward, keep moving forward. When we won Nelson, we knew there would be more pitfalls, but we're going to keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. And now we know we're going to get, we'll probably will get the one that we've always wanted was to have us heard at the Supreme Court. Um Probably shouldn't say this. I'm not. When when the decisions came out, and you know, we had a lot of phone calls from our clients and such. The, the what we heard the most wasn't that people were they were excited and they were excited not be, they knew they be split decision they hadn't we hadn't won yet, but they said and repeated over and over. But we're going to be heard, mm-hmm. and they know the Supreme Court will finally hear it, mm-hmm. and they will have to mm-hmm. they will have they will question us that we will be heard, and they will make a decision. And some people, when you're incarcerated, when you do your appeals and your mm-hmm. writs, so often the Supreme Court simply says denied and doesn't go into any detail. And it's imagine how disheartening it is when your life and the work and time you put into your petitions, we will be heard on this one. Yeah, yeah. And it always reminds me so much of uh, you know the the old story about Galileo. And talking about how the you know the Earth moves around the sun, and he tried to get the Pope and their people to look into the telescope and see, and they just refused to look in the telescope, and how frustrating that must have been. And then they made him into a pariah. And so much of the legal situation, you know, Norris and myself and other people around the country who've been on the inside trying to get people's cases heard, and the frustration of just not just not being able to get the case heard, but knowing full well in your heart and in your mind that this is a case that needs a second chance. And meanwhile, you're watching this person wearing their prison gear, shuffling down the hall, getting their chow, you know, going out in the workout pit. And you're like, you know what? This person should be out there with their family right now. Mm -hmm. But you know what's going to be really interesting about this, especially given the nature of this case, the history of this case, it's going to be decided by seven white people. You know, and so it's got to be some real gut checking in this, in the sense of what this looks like, that you're telling the vast majority of these folks who's just 1,500 people still inside are people of color, that we don't care nothing about you. You know, that uh, you tell us what the law is, we're going to just tell you the law ain't right, you know? And so it's going to raise this question. So I think that's where this real external pressure comes from the community when you're saying about what folks can do. Folks can start raising this concern about, wait a minute, these are elected positions. And y'all are supposed to be there to kind of like do what's just and fair. And um, what's just and fair in this particular case is the fact that just looking at this ugly oranges, 
origins that everybody should step up and say, you know what? We're going to be done with this once and for all. Don't take the, the role of Pontius Pilate and want to wash your hands and say, no, nah, I don't want to touch it. Because that's why it's been around so long, because nobody was brave enough to step up. It don't be for the district court judge in the Third Circuit to step up and say, no, nah, something wrong with this. That made the state have to take a writ. On our end, uh, 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 when the uh, Fourth Circuit sent it back, so now they definitely have to step up because they got, and here's the funny thing that people don't know, that these higher courts will accept a writ from the state nine times before they accept one from the defense. So I'm glad that we got the other one too because now you have no excuse not to hear this issue. You know, they would skirt the issue. Well, we wait until we get a, uh, another uh, view of it because, you know, it's five circuits here. We're going to wait and see. You don't have to wait and see no more. Well, you know, Norris, I think you just led us into our next segment, which is about elections and elected officials and, uh, and trying to make sure we got people with integrity who are in position to make these decisions. And I just want to thank Hardell for coming through. Yeah, Big ups to, to PJI, yeah. Promise yeah. of Justice Initiative. Uh, really strong work, really great people's law firm. And uh, really grateful for you stopping by. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Wanted to be here. Yeah, and, and, and Norris and Bruce. No, Love no, you it, it's great, man. Because again, you know, I, I I can put a name, a face to every name that's on these petitions. And so this is kind of like personal for me in the sense that some folks are still hanging in the balance uh, when people have the opportunity. This could have been done, man. Over the what three years now. This could have been done, and you was worried about, and it's something Bruce says all the time. We worried about 1,500 people. 1,500 people released from DOC every year. Nobody says nothing, asks nothing about where they were, who they are, where they went. You know, and so as we're speaking, matter of fact, I, I got a, 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 a pardon board hearings in the morning. Some mm-hmm. folks are probably going to get favorable recommendation that eventually may get signed by the governor. So people are getting out. So what's so difficult about this class of people that these folks don't want to move on. And it's just striking. It's really, really striking that, uh, you know, but I appreciate uh, the work that uh, PGI is doing because, you know, the very first thing popped up when Rainbow's happened was like, oh, everybody got to get a lawyer. Well, folks who've been in prison uh, for the length of time they've been in prison, they don't have the resource to acquire lawyers with the skill set that they need uh, for this particular issue. So for PGI to be in the breach and to have recruited attorneys from across this country uh, to represent the the class of folks um, is, you know, it's really commendable, you know. So a big shout-out to, to y'all, the Mercedes, Jamila, the whole, the whole crew, you know. It's overwhelming hearing that from you, Norris. Yeah. So just thank you. you oh, that's real talk, you knew, But you knew, to hear that's that from talk. you, Norris, that's, is, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very do. overwhelming. Yeah. It's, a few, it's a community effort, man. <laughs> yes, it and, is. And I really appreciate it. That's All right, it. brother, we're going to check you on the flip side. Thank you. Well, that was an amazing conversation with Hardell and Norris talking about non-unanimous juries. And, uh, you know, Norris, you, you really brought up something that I think is really important that people don't think about, which is, elections of things like a state Supreme Court judge and on down, right? We always think of the U.S. Supreme Court being nominated by the president, et cetera, et cetera. But the power of these state Supreme Courts 
And, you know, people don't really think about that election much at all now, do they? No, no, even especially given the demographic we're from. Because if you think about it, uh, Burnett Johnson, uh, retired Justice Burnett Johnson, uh, had to fight for that seat, you know. That seat was one true uh, litigation with uh, Chisholm, you know. Uh, Ron Chisholm sued uh, to create a minority seat. And it didn't actually outright start on the Supreme Court. It actually created a, a seat on the Fourth Circuit that was like you were part of the same Supreme Court, but, yeah, you wasn't. You're still at the Fourth Circuit. And then finally when that seat actually opened up, I think it was Reeves O.T., when he come up off the bench and she went there, uh, that made all the difference in the world because it became a different perspective on their court. And when you're representing, you know, it's just, again, it's about who's choosing who. Are we choosing the folks who represent us or they're choosing who they want to represent? And especially now because there's no people of color on the state Supreme Court. And here's a decision that has to be made that impacts the lives from the very beginning, disenfranchised people of color. Because when they, when that constitution was changed, it was to uphold the supremacy of the white race, and it disenfranchised at immediately almost a hundred thousand uh, African Americans. And people might say, "Oh, hundred thousand, that's a whole bunch of people." Well, in eighteen ninety eight, that was a that whole was. bunch of people, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, here we are talking about elections, we're talking about voting, we're talking about justice, integrity, and we have the man. The myth, the legend, <laughs> dangerous Devin Davis is in the house. What's up, Devin? How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, kind of tired. You're tired? How, wait, wait. What, what are you tired about? Why are you tired, man? Oh, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Norris over here. It's been a pretty easy GOTV season. Were you guys up late last night or something? Oh, yeah. Just just a little. You know. What happened last night? Tell us. Uh, so last night, um, there last were a couple night. of updates. Um, our mayor won re-election. Oh, wait, so last night was the the primary election here. Yeah, it was a primary election that was pushed back due to Hurricane Ida that Mm -hmm. finally took place. It was a long election season, um, but at long last, we at least have some results. Um, Our mayor won re-election. Latoya Cantrell, back in the house. (laughs) (laughs) We have Helena Moreno, who won election handedly. Helena, keep it classy, Moreno. Uh, JP who won election with 51% of the vote. Uh, that one was really interesting since he had over 50 almost the entire night. Yeah. But they were waiting for those Algiers results to see if it would dip him lower below. Did you happen but, to check exactly how, how many like how many votes was that 51? Because that saved him a lot of time yeah, and money. Yeah, yeah. Sleep, sure did. <laughs> yeah. His family really appreciates those, like, whatever, like 150 people or whatever it was. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can pull that up while we're talking. Um, okay, so J.P. Morrell, uh, Helena, two people we, we were we were definitely backing from the start. Yeah, um, Joe Jeruso in District A mm-hmm. won election handedly. Yeah. Uh, in District B, we had Jay Banks and Leslie Harris that are going on to a runoff election. And that was some, something that we kind of saw coming, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay, the incumbent, um, you know, known around town, et cetera. And then Leslie, who had a lot of support. Uh, from a lot of establishment figures as well, both people we that came in for our forum, yep. right? So we have that forum posted online for people to to be checking out. 
Okay, so that's District B. Yeah, uh, in District C, that was actually kind of an interesting one there. We had Freddie King, who came out first. Um, I think he outperformed what was kind of expected, around 44% of the vote. Um, but then we had Stephanie Bridges, who yeah. came in second, made it to the uh, runoff. Yeah. With like Pac-Man. Um, yeah. yeah. Pac-Girl. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that, anyway. you know, she's run for, I remember she ran for judge recently. I'm not sure how many times she's run for things before. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, obviously some name recognition, some some people you know is what can propel you into that spot, especially when there's a little crowd going on. But Freddie definitely had a lot of support out there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the candidate that we backed, Alonzo Knox, I think he ran a really good campaign. Um, he built a lot of groundswell support for him on the East Bank and started to build some along the West Bank, unfortunately. It just wasn't enough to make it to the runoff. But mm-hmm. we congratulate him on a well-fought campaign um, and hope that his people just stay engaged. And, yeah. and the thing about that, too, since you mentioned that, is that it was a lot of folks who actually lived on the West Bank uh, actually in that race. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that really hurt it in the sense that it was so many people drawing, you know, uh, the cup was in the same well. Yep. And uh, those who had... Uh, 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 name recognition or familiarity from being or living in that that portion of the district uh, benefited from it. Yeah, you know? it actually benefited from yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think a, a little bit of a, a semi-upset surprise was uh, how well Frank Perez did. You know, French, one of my fellow French Quarter residents, uh, and you know, a, a bon vivant, I think, and and just you know, being around town and knowing people, and he had his support as well. Yeah. And they were the the only East Bank uh, folks. And you know, anyone who knows us knows we love the West Bank, we love the East Bank, we love all of it, right? We love people outside of New Orleans. And I, I would say, what about? I mean, half our our members are from the West Bank, mm-hmm, it seems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, we got nothing against West Bank politicians by any stretch. And, you know, we had a good conversation with Freddie, um, and that's also uh, online, that interview yep. that, that Norris had with, with Freddie King. Um, and so, yeah, so C is still still wide open. Yeah, C is still wide open. Um, we kind of had some similar results in District D, where we had a lot of really solid candidates, though. That, too many of them. Yeah, yeah. too many of them. Um, our friend Troy uh, ended up making it to the runoff, Kevin Griffin-Clark. Uh, was about 200 votes behind him, uh, mm-hmm. so both performed very well. How about, uh, how about Mariah and Courtney, uh, uh, yeah. newcomers to the scene? Yeah, both Mariah. Both got 8. Yep, yeah. Um, more performed well. I think she is going to go ahead and be a strong leader in that area. Uh, Courtney Youngblood, I think, performed, yeah, much better than expected. Sure mm-hmm. did. Um, and I think that will probably encourage her as well to kind of go forward and either seek to build more name recognition within her community mm-hmm. or, uh, I don't know, hopefully engage with the person who ends up winning in District D. Yeah, and I think, too, what probably happened to those young upcoming folks like that, the field was just too big. Yeah. The field just got split so far and wide that even, you know, the, 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 the folks who made the runoff, uh, it wasn't because you blew it the field away. You know, uh, it was because there was so many folks in there, your margin of victory, uh, nobody was going to get close to uh, 50. I don't even think nobody got past 35%. Yeah, you know? so uh, 
yeah, Eugene Green, who everyone considered to be the you know the strong conservative candidate, and and I think the rest of the field you know really uh, saw themselves as as running to see who would face Eugene Green because right. you know they were kind of maybe all split. So Eugene got thirty five percent. The rest of the field obviously got sixty five percent. You know, the one Republican got seven percent. So basically, even if you were to take the one Republican out, uh, Chelsea Ardwin, um, you know, that would be. 50, 58% yeah, right. that, yeah, that's, that, that's that the, the, the non-Eugene yeah. Eugene Green uh, vote went to. So, um, so yeah, so it's definitely going to be interesting. Troy Glover, you know, someone who, who we've backed and supported, someone we know from the community. Uh, and it was that, was that was probably one of the most exciting races in the sense that, you know, you had some real community members that were sort of new to the, to the electoral sphere, but you know, a lot of them are not new to the to the. the and, community and it work. was the first time that we ever did uh, a split endorsement. It was because of the same yep. thing: the composition of the field. Yeah. Uh, so many folks in there. I mean, I like Mariah, you know, but then it was kind of like, well, we can't endorse three people. That wouldn't make logical sense. Yep. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, it it it, it, it kind of shaked out the way it should have, and kind of like get a sense of how this thing going to go. So. Yeah, D was kind of like complicated. Um, uh, what what E looked like? Yeah, in District E, uh, we had Cindy Wynn and Oliver Thomas, who are both going to be headed to a runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, they both kind of came in around 44, 42 Who, per, who per led? Um, I, I, the last time I saw it, I think Cindy was leading, uh, but I don't know at the end of the night because it started yeah. getting kind of late. No, OT, uh, OT made a little bit of a surge yeah, at a the end lead. with 45%. So he actually got a, uh, about 500 and change more votes than than Cindy did, Cindy the incumbent. Um, and, you know, striking this. Strike yeah, this. and John Bagneris, uh, you know, a, a, a known commodity, uh, former legislator, run for mayor, only got 715 votes. You know, Vanessa Garinger, you know, similar amount, Michonne Copeland. So I think people definitely in in District E saw that as a two-person race, and they had to choose really between uh, Cindy and Oliver. So it'll be interesting to see how that that shakes out and, you know, and what role that that we might play in that. Right, exactly. Yeah, Um, we've been fortunate to be in contact with both candidates prior to Election Day, letting them know that we are serious about engaging in this District E race if it made it to a runoff. Um, so, yeah, excited about whatever work Voters organizers are able to put in uh, to get their messages out, to get their candidates connected with our people. Uh, and, yeah, really exciting stuff. And by the way, just going back to the whole JP 51 percent, uh, he needed 36,680 votes to get 50 percent plus one. He ended up getting 37,161. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's about 321, four, about 480 votes. Uh, so those 480 people, whoever they are, JP wants to shake their <laughs> hand. <laughs> uh, <'cause Yeah. laughs> and you know, the thing about JP's campaign, it was kind of funny. I was riding around doing poll watching yesterday, and seeing like every district I got in, I saw a different kind of JP sign. Oh, he's got- I was like, oh, wait a minute. I, to, I thought the sign was orange. And I saw nah. a blue one. Then I saw a white one. You Customized know? the neighborhood. Well, you know, we were thinking, too, about, like, the value of, of your— So, okay, so if you got JP, you can do the vertical sign with the two letters. If you got, like, Knox or King, you can get those letters, like, really big. You know, and then if you're, like, your young blood, you kind of have to almost hyphenate it. You know, so, like— 
for all you people out there thinking about running for office, there's still time to change your name for sign purposes. <laughs> <laughs> and FYI, if anyone named uh, Miss Brickhouse is out there, I do want to marry you so I can be Bruce Brickhouse. <laughs> Not that I want to run for office, but Bruce Brickhouse is badass. Um, anyway, okay, so that's so we got we got into A, we got into B, we got into C, we got into D, we got into E. What's next, Devin? Oh, they had that uh, that other race, the uh, legislative race. Yep. Yeah, one hundred two. Algiers. And yeah. We had an opportunity to interview both of those uh, mm-hmm. uh, folks. You know, it was kind of like to me it was I, I thought it would be a little more competitive than it was, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the upside of it is is you know we're replacing you know Democrat with a Democrat, and the only difference is a, a, a female is taking the male's place. So. Uh, we didn't lose anything in the grand scheme of things, you know, so we didn't lose anything. Uh wasn't but three legislative races. Statewide. Across yeah. The state. yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they were one. All, the two of them were competitive. One of them was like just a, mm-hmm. a, Walk a, over. a, a horse race, you know, thoroughbred <laughs> yeah. run against a quarter mm-hmm. horse, you know. Yeah, I mean, so Delisha Boyd did really well, you know, but Jordan Bridges, you got to give him credit as a, a young guy, you know, first campaign really put together, you know, a, a strong um, message, you know, and he had a good platform and mm-hmm. someone who, who really does support, you know, the things that we support. You know, we definitely haven't seen the last of Jordan Bridges. No, you I know? don't definitely think so not. either. I don't and, think and, so either. You know, his mom just, just uh, made this runoff here too. So clearly, the, you know, the family – the family runs, and the yeah. family, you know, family shows up. runs together. Stays, stays together. Stays, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to get, get Kira to start running for something. Yeah. Maybe like student council or something. Yeah, it's where it starts at. Okay, so now we got uh, now we got we've got the um, the clerk of court was an interesting race. We didn't quite see that one go down the way it did. Devin, uh, who what did you think was going to happen with, with that one? And I'll just let like, give people the the. the 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 quickie you know Austin Baton and Darren Lombard two people who are currently court clerk courts not in the criminal court but in first and second uh, city courts are now in a runoff for the the criminal clerk court which uh, you know is like the crown jewel as yeah. as they've both explained it and I mean yeah um, I guess the first one is that my expectation was just going to be a two person race mm-hmm. which it turned out not to be it turned out pa- Patricia Boyd Robertson managed to actually be ready. Com- yes. Competitive in this race, mm-hmm. um, she got twenty seven percent, nineteen thousand yeah. votes. Yeah, her out of, and uh, uh, Darren were kind of going back and forth for that mm-hmm. uh, second place spot for a while there. Um, also, wasn't expecting Austin Baton to perform so well. Well, he, a lot of his votes came early. You know, yeah. when I looked at the uh, results from early voting, he kind of like had them in the can. Yeah, he had fifty three percent early yeah, voting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't really pick up much. Mm-hmm. During the, uh, the 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 election, the election day, you know, board. so yeah. most of the stuff was already in the can. But I'm like I say again with uh, 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 Patricia, that was interesting because again, as we were kind of like canvassing the whole city, uh, she was one of the few people, few candidates of all the candidates, top to bottom on the ballot, that had people out on the street. You know, a lot of folks had signage everywhere, but was no 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 warm bodies. Yeah. And pretty much at every major intersection, there was somebody in those white T-shirts uh, uh, waving signs. And I was like, me and the you know person, me and Renard, we was riding around. We kept just kind of like acknowledging the fact that 
And this is going to be interesting, man. Mm. So when the numbers started coming in, I wasn't surprised because I was like, oh, this, the, this is the product of their work. They out there yep. in the streets working, you mm. know? And so she did really well uh, given. Like I say again, when you have these three-horse races, and she's kind of like was the underdog because two people already, uh, you know, citywide elected officials, they just kind of running for a, a bigger stake that uh, I think she did did really well. You yeah, know? and you kind of wonder, you know, just thinking about, you know, the differences between Austin and Darren, you, know, you kind of wonder, like, who's who's the number two choice for the for the Patricia Boyd-Robertson voters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, some could be the, you know, anyone but Badon, or some could be the anyone but Lombard. Uh, you know, for those that don't know, we in, we endorsed Darren Lombard. We had mm-hmm. all three of them here in, uh, for a forum that everyone can watch on VotersOrganized.org. And, you know, and Darren and and uh, Patricia, you know, the two of them really seemed aligned yeah. in so many ways, you know. <laughs> and so it, it kind of makes you wonder if, you know, if Darren's going to make a strong surge, you know, if that alliance is kind of real right. uh, along with the, the voters themselves. Yeah, yeah you know? because, again, like you say, again, Austin got, what, 40 percent. So, I mean, 6 percent is still out there, yeah. you know. So, yeah. If you combine those two together, well, you know, ball game over. So it depends on, again, messaging what this next uh, 29 uh, days look like moving forward. And I think one of the other stresses about this is that for those folks, you know, how adequately equipped they are to move forward, you know, Mm because I think a lot of folks were kind of like all in Mm -hmm. in this primary trying to just win this thing outright. And uh, for those folks who have to go back to the drawing board uh, to try to gather resources, regroup, mm-hmm. you know, dust themselves off, uh, and to counter some of the messaging that's out there, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this thing shake out uh, moving forward. You know, especially yeah. in that race. Well, definitely you know? can't feel good to see you know your your performance in early voting. You know, then like within a week or two later you know, it, it totally goes down. So, you know, it either tells you that so many of your people are the type of people who get out there early and, and you're not, you know, supported by those or that, that get out there late. And then, you know, there's sometimes just voter preference about, you know, whether you want to walk across the street and vote or whether you want to get it done quick. But, uh, you know, I do think, though, that people's campaigns can make an impact over time. Yeah. And you can see that in changes. And I think that brings us to our, our next race, uh, which, uh, and I'll just say, during early voting, the Marlon Gusman uh, had 56% of the vote. And, um, dun, dun, you know, dun-dun-dun, little old upstart, you know, Susan Hudson had just 28% of the vote. Devin, what happened uh, What happened on Election Day, man? How did it turn out? On Election Day, uh, as we kind of talked about kind of beforehand, was really feeling that energy building up behind Susan Hudson's candidacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it ended up showing out. Uh, Susan Hudson and Marlon Guzman will both be going head-to-head in a runoff head-to-head next month. runoff next month. And uh, she really outperformed what I think was most expected. Um, the other candidates, I believe, drew in around 15% of the vote. Uh, mm-hmm. I think her final tally was 35%. Mm-hmm. Guzman was just below 50 at 48%. Um, so we have a lot of work to do for this next month, but I'm really proud of the campaign that she ran. 
really proud of all the work that voters organized and all of our allied and partnered groups uh, put into this effort Mm -hmm. and really hoping that we can build a larger coalition effort going forward in this next month. And I think one of the real advantages was that folks were really educated about the process. You know, folks have even some of the candidates themselves about what the role of the Sherwood War kind of like muddied the water. I mean, the, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, uh, you know, two of the candidates thought that the sheriff role should be assistant NOPD, mm-hmm. when in fact the sheriff's job is sole responsibility is care, custody, and control of the folks that's in that jail. And he has yep. a civil component that goes along with it. But I think sometimes people muddied the water so that it, it became confusing. So I think the, the time and energy that people took to really go out in communities, start educating people, uh, people start uh, receiving mailers, kind of like giving them a better sense of, one, what that job entails and whether or not this individual has done a good job or a bad job, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and whether or not they should uh, retain that position. So I think, again, given the fact that he's been having, you know, name recognition, uh, you know, you give that credit to him, and for somebody who is a first-time candidate uh, with name recognition, but in a different, uh, a different sphere, you know, as a police yeah. monitor, they're kind of like low-key. They're kind of like the nerdy people, you know. You you see their work product, you know. It's like the the there's an old saying that um, work in silence and let your success make the noise. You know, and so that's kind of like the work she was in. We didn't see what she was doing, but you can see the outcomes from the way the police department has kind of like turned the corner. Mm-hmm. We don't hear all the the bad things that we were hearing uh, about NOPD uh, post-Katrina, in the early years post-Katrina, that over the last seven, eight, ten years, I, 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 I tell people myself that, I never would have thought that the police department would have righted its ship before the sheriff did, yep. because mm-hmm. those consent decrees came along at the very same time. So I think that that people started really listening, and then for some folks it was kind of like remembering when. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that person is still in office after all these mm-hmm. bad things? And so yeah, when people getting started, locked up all around, yeah, them. yeah. So when People start realizing that, and, you know, this particular city is that everybody has been touched by the criminal justice city, you know. And so folks who have these personal experiences or vicarious experience of a loved one being in the jail, hearing all the negativity around that, reading in the paper that somebody just passed away in the jail or somebody was harmed in the jail, somebody committed suicide in the jail, uh, it, this, this election— kind of like start bringing some of that to the forefront. And I think the, the thing going forward is now because a lot of these other ballot things are removed, this is the premier thing that's on the ballot now. So everybody's going to be sitting up straight now to kind of like not just see but to hear. It's like, okay, well, what's in it for us? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think the fact that uh, yeah, I was watching one of the commercials and he was like, Oh yeah, downside closed the seven jails. Yeah. Brought it down to one. And, you know, for those people who wasn't here seventeen years ago. Well, I was here seventeen years ago and uh you didn't bring them down. Katrina damaged them 
and people on the ground, advocates, community people is concerned about condition, petition the city council. Uh, one, we agreed that the city needed a new jail to replace that old stuff, but it had to be smaller, safer, and more humane. Yeah, didn't, and you want a 7, 000, didn't you want a 7,000-bed yes, yes, facility yes, initially? Yes, yes, and, one, and, and capped it at uh, 1,400 beds. And, and when, when you hear him say that, oh, I never wanted a big old jail, That's... I tell people, if you know any, not math, if you just know arithmetic, you know, arithmetic is when you're in elementary school. You know, you don't graduate to math till you get to middle school nowadays. You used to be junior high school in my time. But you build a kitchen that can serve 25,000 meals a day. So if you're feeding, feeding people three times a day, that means you got 8,000 people in that. Yeah, and so his his food contract is with uh, uh, an operation uh, originally was in the, in uh, North Dakota, I believe, maybe South Dakota, one of them. That then got bought up by a you know a bigger fish that's based in in Minnesota, and it kind of begs the question of, okay, are you buying like TV dinners that get shipped in and warmed up kind of style, or are you? hiring up people who work in that big old kitchen, pot in the kitchen right because yeah. you, you got this this mega million dollar kitchen and warehouse facility that was bought you know which was a, a great deal i'm sure for the construction donors he has and architect donors he has but then like what, what's what's going on with the kitchen and i don't know about you but like when i was awaiting trial i was actually cracking eggs and, and cooking right. like so there's like people in there that that need jobs to stay busy there's people who can cook and meanwhile you're giving millions of dollars to, to some Minnesota company, sending our tax dollars to Minnesota to then what, ship food in so they can warm it up in, on, in the microwave? Hmm. You know, and, and so, it, and that's, I think, why he, uh, he he was supposed to come to his budget hearing last week, right? Right. Thursday was supposed to be, and people were showed up and ready to testify. And and we had an 11-page detailed testimony because we looked at all his little contracts and, and and matched it up with the donors through our follow the money uh, stuff. And people want to see that, then go on our website, uh, votersorganized.org. Look for the follow the money tab, and it really breaks down all his donors. You can even look on a spreadsheet of them and sort by state, sort by date, sort by donor themselves. You can see expenditures. You can see potentially fraudulent expenditures, like that 3000 donation to, uh, to, to the the, in, the what are the human innocence project yep. at a zip code that doesn't exist <laughs> in this whole country yeah. at a road that doesn't exist in New Orleans <laughs> so we were getting ready to unleash on that and he thought he was going to win this election and then uh and then have to, you know be able to just you know Show take up. the heats after after the fact but uh, I, I guess he's got to come back this week then because right his budget budget yeah, hearing is going to close down the, the budget has to be reconciled before the end of the year you know, and uh, the election ain't till next month. And so December they can't 11th. wait around. Uh, their obligation is to have the budget ready, get it submitted to the mayor, and the mayor, you know, approve it or, you know, veto it and send it back to them or whatever. But uh, the clock is ticking, you know. Mm-hmm. This is uh, tomorrow's the 15th, so we're halfway through November. Uh, the election is halfway in December. And so it has to be uh, reconciled pretty soon. You know? How many so, people do you think are going to show up to that budget hearing? Oh, I think even more so now. I think <laughs> yeah. even more people now because uh, I was reading something this morning uh, in the paper, and it was talking about the very same thing, about how people were really disgruntled by this 
this uh, uh, budget meeting being pushed aside, mm-hmm. you know, when everybody else went forward. Yeah. You know, and the rationale uh, did kind of just, just sit well, you know, with folks in the sense that, you know, you got a budget hearing coming up. All those folks who responsible for it should have all the documentation in place in spite of you running for office. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the job. And uh, the fact that you, at the 11th hour, this stuff isn't completed, uh, says something also about uh, how efficient and effective that that operation actually is, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and hopefully, too, uh, you know, kind of the council themselves can, can take a strong fiscal position. They don't have to like Gusman or not, right? right? They can just be like, I'm going to look deep under the hood of this $86 million, uh, well, actually like 56 from the from the city itself because he has some other funding sources. But, um, you know, Helena now doesn't have to worry about an election. Um, Kristen Palmer, who's been really solid on on a lot of jail issues, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she doesn't have to worry about an election. She at this point, you know, this she's going to serve out her term. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donna Glapion was always a a fill in for Mm -hmm. for the Jason Williams seat. Doesn't have to worry about, you know, any any other kind of fallback. Not quite sure about Jared Brissett's situation right now. But so I think like some of this like political posturing and, and whatnot hopefully can be out of the way and people can just see it for what it is. So in some ways, you know, Marlon Gusman may have done everybody in the city a favor by putting it off a few days, yeah. uh, unwittingly, I'm sure. Yeah. But also on December 3rd, he gets to have another hearing, too, uh, in front of the the Louisiana just, Board of Ethics. Right, right. <laughs> you right, know, Norris Henderson, right. you got your name on a on an ethics complaint about, about net, the Netflix jailbirds operation. Yes. Yeah, so I think, again, uh, just kind of like the landscaping of the council, because as you were saying, I was thinking about all these situations. And this thing, because it's going to happen before the election, so people, not only will he be kind of like being held accountable, Mm -hmm. folks who have to vote on this is going to be being held accountable, too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you got J Banks is still up and B. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, C is wide open. Like I say again, Palmer is kind of like the lame duck in that. But uh, the two people from B and E uh, that's still on the council are in runoff elections. And, you know, so it's an opportunity, like I say again, that how do you align yourself uh, when people bring you facts? Uh, how do you address those facts? You know, oh. mm-hmm. So I, I think and, you know, just just speculation on my part. I think, again, because they this race was going to be kind of like highly charged. Mm-hmm. I think nobody wanted to probably create a third-degree situation uh, for the sheriff in the sense that, boom, news flash, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, dumb down. So I guess they may have kind of like gave the reprieve, but... Sometimes you be careful what you ask for. You yeah. Know, well, he, I mean, he, I think he's straight fib though. When you read yeah. his his reasoning about yeah. why he had to go to some other board, and then the mm-hmm. chair of that other board was like, "No, he doesn't. Right. He got nothing to do with this." Mm-hmm. Tommy Vassell, a, a right. CPA, right. said that he doesn't need to come to this board whatsoever to, to present right. it, and probably never has. Right. So, but I, I guess that again is, is you know, you kind of like the you kind of like learn the history of how people operate. And, uh, you know, when they operate in that way, it becomes this common practice of how they do things mm. and just took for granted, this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to roll mm-hmm. out. And now it may uh, have more uh, ramifications 
than it probably would have had early on. Yeah. Because a lot of folks probably were distracted. They won't be distracted now. No, now they're honing you know? in. And, you know, yeah. and, I, and I do think, too, there's a probably a stronger chance— you know, because of that, some of that research that we put out there around around his donors and and uh, and his contracts, and you know, including some strange donors like his, you know, these hedge funds and and capitalist people that you know they're all about making money out in other states like Texas, like you know Kyle Bass, who's some uh, some big Trumpy guy, you know, partnered up with Steve Bannon on certain things. Like, why are you donating to Marlon Gusman, right? And so now, you know, those journalists who've been sitting on that information. May you know maybe had a, a sense of integrity with their e- editors of like I don't know if if the, even if this is like a, a you know a bomb drop it probably is would be kind of like perhaps unfair to do a couple of days before the, uh, an election mm-hmm. but now I mean they they can't sit on it for three more weeks you know so I, I think there's definitely you know a lot more critique to come down the pipe and I think more than anything else about you know this this particular race is that. It just needs change. I mean, anytime you have, I mean, there's one thing about a disgruntled employer. That's one thing. But when you have literally tens to hundreds of people kind of like saying, this guy needs to go, that is a bad signal. I mean, that mm-hmm. is kind of like mutiny on the bounty, you know, in a sense that people who work there is like, no, he's just not a good fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people misread uh, them staying around too long, you know. And I think that may be one of the challenges uh, for him that he kind of like just didn't get the the signals, you know. He kind of like missed the, 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 the audible at the line of scrimmage. Well, every, I think you every know? old QB thinks that they're Tom Brady when, you know, really it's like, you know, I got Big Ben over here, you know, uh, you know, basically I'm hoping for him to hang up the cleats because, like, you're losing it, man, and, right. you know, and the team is losing it because of that. Not saying that, that Marlon Gusman was ever a Hall of Fame sheriff, but yeah. you got to know when it's time to go. Right. And I think he just, you know, the, the greed will kill you, right? You just kind of, right. I mean, we've known people that robbed 10 banks. They got away with nine of them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man. You should have stopped at nine. Right, now, right. now you're doing 50 you years in prison. Yeah, just got to get to him. So <laughs> I, I think, again, in, in the long run, this, uh, again, signals the direction the folks in this city mm-hmm. uh, wants to go. It, it kind of, like, dictates the mindset of what they want public safety to look like and represent inside this city. And I don't think they ever want to see... Um, the monstrosity that that op- apparatus used to be, you know, 8,000 bed capacity, 7,000 people in it at any given time. And uh, so I, I don't think, I think when the people of this city uh, push the city council to, yeah, uh, we need it. Because one of the provisos of that, that, that ordinance that, you know, that it, nobody seems to want to remember is that one of the provisos inside that ordinance to build a new jail was that every other bed had to be decommissioned mm-hmm. before they opened up the new jail. What are they building behind the courthouse there? What is that building? That's a good question. I think I asked that question yesterday of somebody, and they think that's uh, uh, the crime lab. I think oh, that's yeah. going to be a crime lab. You know, that's I'm interesting. I'm not sure. It's kind of funny. It's building it there when the police department is on the other side of the street. So, but you know, stranger things have happened. But uh, somebody says a crime left. So I don't, I don't know for certain what it is. 
um, that complex all back in there really needs mm-hmm. to be. Um, I mean, the municipal code has been kind of like decommissioned because of Ida. Ida done a lot of damage to it. So traffic in municipal code is kind of like at a standstill. Don't know what that, how that, you know, uh, moves itself. But that whole area back there uh, needs a facelift. What that looks like, you know, maybe that that bridge to nowhere uh, where they got that dead space where they're talking about where, not they, where the sheriff wants to build uh, additional bed space and other people could utilize the DA's office, say they want a new space. The public defender is leasing space. Mm. So why don't you take that yeah. space, build a structure there, Illegal and you can sign. house both of them in there, and everybody talk about the wraparound services that they want to provide to people. Well, all that could be inside this same structure. Mm-hmm. That So when people get released in the middle of the night, you know what? You don't have to go home. You can stay here kind of like find out the services that you need or that's available, get them come daylight, you can head home and keep yourself out of harm's way. So there's other ideas floating around about what that space could actually uh, be. And I was just excited by the fact that, uh, you know, because, again, it goes back how how we get kind of like any places, there's a lot of resources that's left out there uh, in reference, I mean, Katrina money. This has mm-hmm. been like, this is what, year 16? Well, he's sitting on you about know? $22 million of un, undispersed uh, bond money that was passed by, you know, by the taxpayers uh, since that time. I think one was, a, I think, a 2008 bond. The other was about a 2015. And so these were like public safety bonds. And so mm-hmm. much was supposed to go to the DA, the courts, that forensics lab you're talking about. And he, you know, so some of that money got got doled out, and some is just sitting there collecting interest. Mm. And so when you hear the clerk of court say we don't have the money to go to an electronic filing system, I say, do you know that the the, the sheriff's the office has something like three million dollars a year just sitting there in the bank collecting interest in some, some one of his forty two accounts? Mm. But like it's it says right in his auditor's report that's on online the two thousand nineteen audit, which is the most recent audit, and it's been sitting there for years because they. Basically, they 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 raised the bond money from one of these investment capital shops, right? And then they slowly pay it back over our uh, our taxes, mm-hmm. right? So it takes a few years to pay it back, but you get the money like kind of upfront, right? So it's like an upfront loan sort of, sort of thing that you pay back. And so clearly, there's a lot of money to be made, which is maybe one reason why all these like bankers and stuff would donate to him, including his these bond attorneys donate to him. So there's a lot of money to be made on packaging a huge like multi-million dollar deal, uh, but then to sit on the money and not distribute it, it, it made me really interested in looking at this. Uh, there was a bond thing in St. Tammany uh, yesterday as well. Right, right. They wanted to raise money to to you know increase their complex and all that kind of stuff around public safety, and uh, wouldn't you know, but it it only got 34 percent support. Yeah, you 66 percent of people said nah. Yeah. And, Wait, and, just, what just happened with their sheriff? Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> sheriff, <laughs> Bad timing, huh? Former sheriff, that's right. <laughs> and so that that's kind of like signaling to people because if we look at the demographics of that population and the demographics of this population, uh, tax base-wise, mm-hmm. that's a tax base. And they're saying, no, 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 no. 
Not one more dime of our money is going to go into this. And at the same time, for years, we've been throwing good money behind bad money, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out what the solution to the problem is. And the solution to the problem is that we got to start seeing people as people. Not product? And not product. Yeah, yeah. not product. That's not my word choice. That is his word choice. Yeah, that was what he said yeah. in that Gambit uh, interview. Interview, right. Yeah, I mean... And they were, they were like, what were they? They were pretty dumbfounded by by that sort of thing, no? <laughs> All right, yeah, and just to kind of go real quick back to a point you had made previously, um, the reign of Sheriff Guzman has impacted everybody. The inhumane treatment that people have experienced in his jail under his watch has experienced, has impacted everyone in this city. It is shameful that less than 30% of registered voters turned out to vote yesterday. Mm. Yes, it is. It really is. It is. Yeah. If this is really something that our entire city really cares about, and I really do believe that our entire city does care about this, why are we not showing up to the polls? Mm. When it comes time to make your voice heard, literally by just having to click a button, that's, that's all you have to do. That's it. And only 30% show up. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I looked at that too because, you know, I think the actual... Um, Total registered voters, I think we had like two, two hundred and seventy something thousand, something like that. And when you only get sixty thousand, you know, between sixty-five, seventy thousand people show up for an election, it's kind of like it's kind of like really appalling, you know. Because when you when when I just thought about that number just now, that is the same size of a councilmatic district. Mm. You know, 70,000 people is in the council-managed district. But if we want to show up to kind of like hold people accountable, and one of the things that one of the candidates who didn't make the runoff, uh, one of his slogans was accountability is not an attack. And that's what all people's asking Mm -hmm. for now, people being accountable uh, for what they say they're going to do. And, uh, you know, if you ever have ample time to do it, why it hasn't been done? You know, and uh, if I would have should have moments, you know, they're gone. You know, because people see, uh, and I think this community has been transformed post-Katrina, you know, post-George Floyd, you know, uh, post-Ida. You know, people are tired of kind of like seeing the system not working for them. Uh, you know, and I, I, I was... Coming back in the city yesterday, and I was the plane was flying before it landed, it flew over the West Bank. And I was looking out the window, man, and you know, from way up, you would think everybody had a swimming pool in their backyard. Mm-hmm. But that was all those blue tarps, man, mm-hmm. that's still on people's houses almost 90 days later, man, <coughs> that people haven't been able to collect from the insurance company to make themselves whole. So accountability is what's driving all of these elections now is that people's tolerance level is like, no, I heard that from you before. I don't want to hear it no more. I'm done. You know, and so it's kind of like now it's kind of like people want to see not what you say you're going to do, but actually what you're doing or what you have done. And for these races where there's an incumbent, well, you got a record. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you have a record that people have the right to look at 
to determine whether or not, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Whereas the, the newbie, who's like all these people who are running for seat, all of them are newbies in the sense of who's going to get that seat. So it's on the come. We don't know what you're going to do when you're getting that seat. But the person who is uh, incumbent, you have a record that we can interrogate and figure out, nah, if we put all this stuff together, the common denominator dictates that, nah, you're going to behave the same way. Yep. And so I think that's one of the things that uh, we have been consistent and trying to do a good job is educate people about this process and uh, how this whole thing works. You know, But I agree with you. The, it's appalling the lack of uh, people that's actually participating in the process. Well, I think that's something that you know we can be proud of. Power Coalition can be proud of, and, and others can be proud of. Um, you know, as you're saying, I mean, about seventy-five thousand people showed up. More people come to a Saints game every Sunday than than showed up to vote. And you know, I, I think the interesting thing when you look at the the history of voting rights and and all that. The people in power have never been the ones advocating for any kind of expansion of democracy or like better participation. Right. It's always been folks like us from the outside that have had to put in all this like hard work that's under resourced. We don't have the big microphone. We don't have the power of the state. We don't have the power of the purse or anything like that. And, you know, if you look at black voting, women voting, Native American voting, Puerto Rican voting, you name it. Right. People with criminal records voting. Everything along the way has always been the outsiders fighting. And then people get in power and they want that like white male property owner again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so the fact that some people can be satisfied with 20, 25, 30 percent of folks voting that I mean, that's a mark on the incumbents, right. yeah, and right. not just the current ones, but all the ones before them. That's right. Yep. That's right. I mean, the, the, the conversation we was having a week ago when we was talking about uh, redistricting, when somebody was complaining about, well, if we redistrict this area, that person is going to be like, well, that don't belong to them, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can't win a district where you have better than fifty-one percent of the population is a minority population. You don't need to be representing that district, yep. you know. And so I think one of the things, when you mention that, I think about one of the things a guy told me years ago. He said, man, everybody not really fond of what you're doing, uh, waking up to sleeping dry, getting people to vote who never even cared about voting or had an interest in it. And uh, some people won't be happy with that. So it goes back to what you said just now is that people want the status quo. They don't yeah. want, they love the chronic voter because they're predictable. They don't want new voters to come mm-hmm. in because new voters come in asking questions. Yep. And uh, But again, it goes back. Those questions are a part of the accountability. And accountability, again, is not an attack. And so if you can't, 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 can't deal with that situation of people asking questions, I, I I think you're in the long wrong long, wrong line of work, really. Mm-hmm. You know. So we've got a runoff election coming up, right? So we we talked about some some key council races, uh, some where we've really been supporting some folks, and others where you know maybe we got some decisions to make about you know how we're going to go about those races. Obviously, uh, Susan Hudson, a woman of integrity, that we really want to see in as sheriff. Uh, you know, so December 11th is election day. Uh, this time around, about 25% of people, what it was, maybe a third of people, uh, sh- I think, showed up for early voting, uh, which starts, the, what, the day, a- uh, two days after Thanksgiving? Yeah. Right. Tw- uh, November 20, what's that, the 9th, 29th? 
Yeah, November 29th. November 29th uh, is a Saturday. Thanksgiving is the 27th. I think that Thursday, so 928, 27th. So I think it's 20, it might be 28. We're over here trying to figure out yeah, dates. Maybe 28. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and, and folks of all persuasions, yeah. we don't have our calendars in front of us. <laughs> but the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving surprise, not Halloween this time, mm-hmm. but that is when you're going to feast or begin feasting on the smorgasbord of elections that we have with the sheriff being the turkey, being the full, the main course. And that's going to be when? And now that we have these these dates nice and handy up for us, just to run through some real quick, the deadline to register is November 10th, which has already passed. So if you're Um, in, you're in. If you're out, you got to get ready for next time. The deadline to register through Go Vote is not until November 20th, so you still have one more week to get on there. All right, so you can do it digitally, folks. Go vote. If you need any help, you can definitely contact us through VotersOrganized.org and definitely through Power Coalition, through Vote. All the folks who want to help you get registered if that's the situation. So there's still time to do it through online, even if you have a criminal record and you have to get your extra piece of paper. We can work on that. So contact us. Yeah. And then early voting uh, begins November 27th and goes through December 4th. And that's excluding Sunday, November 28th. And the poll is going to be open from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. All right. So get your early voting in and then get ready for Saturday for the kind of person who wants to walk across the street. If you're somebody who wants to support uh, particularly Susan Hudson or Troy Glover, you can reach out to them directly uh, on their website. Susan for Sheriff, I believe, is Susan's website. Uh, Troy Glover, do you remember what his website is? Uh, I believe it's votetroyglover.com. Either way, really easy to find, and you can contact us. And, of course, if you want to get out there and just try to get more and more of your neighbors voting, you know, reach out to us, reach out to Power Coalition to vote, to step up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that really want to encourage our communities to go out and vote. And one, one, one last thing, too. The one thing we didn't touch on was kind of like the power of the people when you had these the ballots. You know, we didn't talk about the constitutional amendments. Mm. Oh, yeah. And True it was kind of like everybody was like, you know, the, the pundits were saying, <laughs> vote for A, vote yep. for one, number one, mm-hmm. vote for number one. And then when people started realizing what that meant. I heard a, a, a advertisement. The lady was like, oh, that's almost like giving your landlord your, 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 your paycheck and then them doling it back out to you when they're done taking out what they want to take out. Yeah. And that's what that was amounting to is that that constitutional amendment would have put in place this commission, hand-picked commission, that would, you know, the, all the resources that your community generate they would dictate how it would be spent. And uh, that is crazy, you know? That well, is really crazy. Yeah, but and that, people, that one, well, that lost by 15,000 yeah, statewide, yeah, right. but in New Orleans alone, it lost by about 18,000 yeah. or 16,000. So yeah. basically, the New Orleans difference uh, capsized yeah. the whole thing exactly. statewide. Exactly. And because when you look at this city being the revenue generated oh, yeah. for the state, uh, with the conventions, all the other events, and the moving tourists. into the fall, especially since we kind of like got a, a handle on COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we won't see Jazz Fest this year, but, you know, they're already, the Sugar Bowl is already mm-hmm. on the calendar, first week of January. Mardi Gras is on the calendar, Here and if those things go well, everything else is going to fall back in yep. place. He was talking mm-hmm. about some. Uh, doctor's convention coming in 
Uh, and so things are starting to boom. So just think about all the resources that this city would have generated. Cash register. You know, that somebody would decide how much of that money you get back. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and so under no stretch of imagination uh, is that a fair process. So I, I was really excited. And, well, everybody that asked me about how to vote on those amendments, I definitely told them vote no on number one. If you, you Do what you want on the rest, but for sure vote no on number one. So it's good that folks really understood that. And I think that's what people haven't been doing is taking time to educate people about these processes, about what these ballot initiatives, what they represent, what they mean. And even along with the candidates, you know, I think the, the fact that we was able to have conversations with people, post it so everybody else can see and listen, to hear what their platform on, that gave people an opportunity to make um, a sound decision about uh, what it needs to be. Because people call me all the time, say, can you help me? Can you help me? So you got to give me a little more information than mm-hmm. that. I can't make a judgment based upon what you're telling me because it's one-sided. Let me get yeah. the whole picture, and then I can give you kind of like a, a better assessment of what the situation may be. So I think, you know, kudos to us for, you know, putting out information, educating people about you know, these processes and what they're supposed to look like, how they're supposed to operate and function. So, yeah, so I, I'm excited about the, the early result from the primary in the sense of those folks who won and the things that's left on the ballot to be tended to. It's like, you know, let's try to get folks to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, we are the voters organized. And uh, to do what? Educate. All right. We're the voters organized to educate. We were uh, played a, a, a nice little hand in ending the 9 a.m.s jury through, through the popular ballot constitutional amendment. Uh, we definitely were a, a huge hand, if not the main hand, in getting voting rights for people with criminal convictions here in Louisiana. Uh, we played a, a, a major role helping get a progressive prosecutor elected here in New Orleans. And here we are now with the sheriff race, and we're trying to try to, like, you know, clean the house a little bit and, and put some people with integrity in, in place. So folks want to get involved with, with the work we're doing. There's amazing people. I just want to shout out to all of them who've been working hard with, like, canvassing, with creating materials, with getting the word out, you know, spreading everything that we put together. Uh, it's definitely a, a combination effort. I want to give a shout out to Mike. Big shout out to Devin over here, who's been really, you know, in the in the the, the hot seat. I think for heavy duty for a few months now. And and Norris, of course, it's great to have you here and and all the work and and leadership that you provide for all of us. I am DJ Bruja. We are voters organized to educate. This is Change to Change, and we out. We need each other. Wake up, everybody.